0: What you're about to hear is an excerpt from class two of an introduction to Kriya Yoga as a spiritual practice. This course was offered on the Kriya Yoga Online Patreon community and is currently available through Patreon uh, for the duration of 2023. After 2023, it's going to be offered as a standalone course through Teachable. And if you're interested in participating and learning more, again, you can become a Patreon supporter patreon.com slash kriya yoga that's the kriya yoga online patreon community Um, or if we're already past 2023 by the time you listen to this um, i will put a link in the description of this podcast so that you are able to take the 12 section course again an introduction to kriya yoga for spiritual practice i hope you enjoy this presentation Now, we can also look to the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali say that progress is an accord. Progress is an accord with intensity of practice, whether that's mild, medium, or extreme, or intensive. And that just makes sense. Uh, anything in life, the more that you give attention to, skillful attention to, the greater that will develop within your life. So the same is true for our spiritual growth. The more attention we give to it, the more intensity we put towards our practice, the greater growth we will experience. But we do have to be um, aware of what intensity really means. Many people who suffer from kind of a, a type A psychological complex thinks that intensity means I always have to be meditating. I always have to be reading spiritual literature. I always have to be doing something to push myself harder in this direction and that's really an overcompensation for something else Uh, intensity is related really to how many of your actions support your inspiration to practice yoga and to experience greater spiritual awareness so intensity is not pushing yourself to the limit of how long you can sit cross-legged to look like a good yogi Um, It is not forcing yourself to repeat more mantras for the sake of repeating mantras. Intensity is not working to increase the number of uh, pranayamas that you can practice, or it's not to force yourself to meditate more and more throughout the day. Intensity is related to your ability to successfully do what is necessary to sustain your spiritual life and your inspiration towards self-realization. And this is really the focus of of our our session today, looking at realistic ways to streamline and align your life so that your activities, they don't fall into the category of um, the overcompensation type A psychological complex, but they are intelligently applied ways of living that allows more spiritual energy to be developed within your life and greater realization to come and for um, your consciousness to expand naturally and easily and to grow uh, without stressing yourself out. Because the type A psychological complex stress situation really isn't helping. It's kind of, in a sense, sometimes pushing you backwards. So we're going to talk about a few of these things like meditation, um, length, uh, mantra practice, uh, pranayama practice, and so on. So let's start with this idea of mantra. Many of you are familiar with the idea of mantra. It is a word or word phrase that you use uh, in order to um, facilitate a meditative or superconscious state. In the Kriya Yoga tradition, we often recommend the use of so-hum mantra Hong Sa is also um, a regular mantra used. Om Namah Shivaya, or simply chanting Om. These are some of the primary basic mantras uh, within the tradition. But mantra needs to be applied intelligently. So we have to remember that mantra practice, doing more mantras mechanically, does not result in greater intensity in one's spiritual life. Practicing a mantra while your mind is fresh, dynamic, awake, and engaged, this is what contributes to clarity of awareness. Mr. Davis, you might have heard this story before, uh, talked about how he had overheard Yogananda say one time that if you practiced mantra or soham mantra for five hours straight, that you would easily experience a superconscious or enlightened state. And Mr. Davis heard that, and he was in his uh, late teens when he knew uh, Yogananda. So he had that kind of enthusiasm of youth, and he thought to himself, oh, well, I'm going to do that then. And he was new to a lot of this. He had just been accepted as a student of Yogananda's. He had been raised on a farm while he knew how to do certain yoga postures, and he had an interest in meditation the depth of the practice, it was all really kind of new to him. So he decided that he was going to sit there for five hours and practice mantra. And he said what he learned was that you can sit for five hours, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be actually engaged in the mantra practice. Because after a while, your mind drifts away. You start to fall asleep. You nod off. Distractions come up. And when Yogananda had said to be able to practice mantra for five hours, he meant you practice mantra for five hours while being perfectly present with the practice, not just repeating the mantra again and again in the background of your mind while you nod off or um, fantasies and daydreams come your way or you put yourself into a trance. He meant that in every moment when you repeated that mantra, each mantra was like a brand new moment. You were perfectly engaged, perfectly awake to it. And many of you have experienced this maybe when you've been doing a certain activity that requires a lot of attention to detail. When you're engaged in an activity that requires a lot of attention to detail, you're not daydreaming, you're not falling asleep, you're not nodding off. Every second of that experience, you are pristinely aware of the process. So for mantra to work in a way that is ideal, um, that is what needs to be cultivated, and so for a beginner, rather than aiming for lots of mantras, what a beginner needs to do intelligently is to practice mantra, and then stay with it as long as one can remain engaged, or as long as one, even if you get distracted, you're still awake enough that you can come back to it. And say no, no, come back to center, focus on the mantra. And you do it just that long and just before you get to the point to where you're going to be falling asleep or losing awareness or putting yourself into a trance or a stupor you stop you do a little deep breathing and you conclude the practice that's going to be an effective use of mantra and we have to remember that when we're talking about intensity and practice it's anything that sustains uh, our focus so If we can only do a mantra practice for, say, five minutes, and what we need to do in order to do that again is to just take a break, go for a walk, read the newspaper, engage in, in activities which give your mind and consciousness and nervous system a chance to kind of reset themselves and grow and expand, that's what you have to do. So we wanna look at it almost like an exercise routine where a person who exercises, they go and they exercise, but they don't do it to exercise all day long. They go, they get their body strong, and then at other times they know that their body is getting stronger, that their muscles are repairing and regenerating. And so next time, or in a few weeks or so, they can exercise a little bit longer or with a little more intensity. But to do that intelligently, you're not just pushing yourself to the limit every time. You are giving yourself uh, time to step back. So within all of this practice, there needs to be activity towards your goal or activity towards your meditation technique or practice, but there also has to be time for rest, for just letting it be, for just living your life like normal. And this applies to longer durations of meditation as well. Um, again, many people read about yogis or consider folks who say they meditate for eight hours or, or longer. And it's often thought that that's what you need to shoot for. Well, you might want to shoot for that. But what you want to shoot for is not the time. What you want to shoot for is your ability to be interested and engaged in it. And don't feel bad if you're only interested and engaged for 15 minutes. That's better than nothing. And that's where you've got to start. Uh, yogis, authentic yogis who are able to sit for longer and be in the process uh, without falling asleep, they they are enjoying it. They are pristine.ly present the whole duration of it. They didn't they didn't do so many pranayamas and then all of a sudden their consciousness zones out and they just finish out the rest of the time and in like a semi conscious or unconscious state. They are pristine.ly aware the entire time. So, meditation, you need, to, you need to meditate as long as you can while staying awake, engaged, interested. Sitting to meditate um, for long periods of time just to look like you're a good meditator, it's not very useful. Sitting to meditate for long periods of time when you've only really meditated for about 15 minutes and then the next hour and a half, all you're doing is fighting to stay awake. That's not... Doing, that's not intensity. That's not very good, <laughs> we won't say what it is. Intensity is doing whatever it takes to stay present within the process. Pranayama is the same way. Uh, pranayama can be very powerful uh, preparation for deeper meditation, but it needs to be practiced with care and with well-being in mind. Meaning you don't want to hyperventilate, you don't want to make yourself pass out, um, you don't want to do pranayama such that it feels like it's a strain or a struggle. Many people who once they learn kriya yoga, they learn to do the kriya pranayama, and they think they just need to keep doing more. And really, after they've done say 24 or 36, like it's hard. It's almost like it's like when you've been again exercising and you've been lifting a weight, and then it just becomes hard to lift up. It's you've, you've reached your max. Well, you don't keep trying to power through that. You admit I'm I've, I've done a good job. Now I'm going to rest, because you see there is a there is a balance between there is a balance between the activity. The activity is is propelling the momentum of our our spiritual practice, but we also have to be able to let that grow, just like in a garden. You plant the seeds, you water them, you do the activities which will allow the seeds to. Um, have their greatest effect but you can't force that seed to grow so the same thing is true with our meditation our spiritual practice we have to do these things but then when we're not doing them we have to be okay with that if we're always thinking i should be doing more i should be doing more that's shaming yourself and that's creating a negative state of consciousness if you know you are doing your best just let yourself do your best and do that every day every day week after week, month after month, year after year. And if you are doing it that way, you're going to have the results. You don't need the stress. You don't need, again, the type uh, type A psychological overcompensation complex. The, um, the process works when you do it. Stress doesn't make it work better. Same thing if you're learning a musical instrument. Paying attention to what you're doing and keeping your technique good every day, for a little bit every time, that's what allows you to get better and better and better. Being frustrated about it, thinking you need to go home and and practice more and more and more when you're already practiced out, is gonna give you negative uh, negative results rather than positive results. So when we are are considering our spiritual life, just like with exercise or learning a musical instrument or doing anything that requires uh, skill, there has to be proper form. We have to do things that don't hurt ourselves. We have to do things that support the practice. For example, when it comes to exercising, you don't just exercise. You also need to eat foods that support the exercise that you're doing. You don't just exercise. You also make sure that you take enough time for your your body to respond and regenerate. Um, And our spiritual practice really needs to be approached in the same way if we're going to have the results that these yogis that we look up to described to us. Um, So meditation being a very powerful method of personal transformation, we still need to work within our limits and sustain our practice so that we are inspired to get up every day and do it again. Many people, and I, I had this experience too when I was younger, are very enthusiastic in the beginning. They read Autobiography of Yogi, or um, or some other saint and sage, and they really feel this strong drive. I need to figure it out right now. And they push too hard and too fast, and they burn themselves out. And they don't build a sustainable practice because of impatience. Um, Yogananda had said that our, our spiritual life is, needs to be um, like a wood fire that's built well that burns slowly and steadily over time rather than a straw fire that goes up with a great blaze um, and then goes out almost as quick as it started and i have to say i feel fortunate in that many of the students that i've been able to know and work with they already seem to kind of get this a little bit but we still need to talk about it because um, many times the enthusiasm is very useful but It needs to be moderated. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be tended over a long period of time. And if we can start to see everything from that perspective, then again, we can recognize that when we make good food choices, that that is our Kriya Yoga practice. That when we choose to take care of our body, that that is Kriya Yoga practice. That when we Decide to get on a regular sleep schedule for our well being, and so that we can be alert and attentive when we meditate. That is Kriya Yoga practice. And I feel it's really important to pay attention to that affirmation and to acknowledge those things. And it's good to acknowledge them while they are happening, if you're able to. But it's also good to spend some time, maybe at the end of the day, to review. Uh, what you've done that day and to acknowledge these are the choices that I made that go to support my desire for self-realization or my desire to be committed to this spiritual path of Kriya Yoga. And if you do that every day, essentially what's going on there is you are recognizing, remembering that you are doing quite a lot to support your inspiration towards greater spiritual awareness and i found that by acknowledging that that really has a capacity to empower us and it also gives us the capacity to not focus so much on these very narrow approaches where many people say you just have to meditate more you start to see the broadness of your life being a representation of your intention to wake up spiritually speaking and to have a greater clarity and greater inner peace and again the more you admit that it's like the more you realize what you are doing and the more full your inner life becomes no matter what you're doing so while maybe some of you wished i would get more into things at this point in time like what are the chakras what do they mean what is this energy that we're doing that we're moving around when we practice Kriya Pranayama. Um, What are the specific mantras that make it all work? Maybe some of you want that, but uh, I would like to encourage you to see that those are useful things, but there's so much more to it. And this is coming from my own experience in, in my own practice, from the initial enthusiasm that I had when I first began a few decades ago, to observing those changes and what was required to make positive changes. And also working with many students and seeing how their life, what really mattered in their life so that they experienced what they were aiming for. And all that we're talking about here are those fundamental principles, those real, those real uh, effective parts of the process, that actually made the difference. And again, my goal teaching Kriya Yoga and my goal in this introductory course is to really point out what works, really point out what actually makes the difference between one person who spends their entire life trying to realize what the sages of yoga understood, versus the student who goes through the process and as they go, every now and then looks back and says, wow, I am realizing this, it's actually working. So the whole purpose of what we're focusing on, even if it doesn't seem as uh, specific as you would want it to be, or as esoteric or mystical as you want it to be, these are the real things that make the difference. So please keep that in mind as we, as we go through this process. And in this second section of the class, we're going to focus on, again, um, some broad topics such as discipline, um, choice of entertainment, choice of social experiences, choice of leisure time, uh, how to engage the idea of prayer within your life before meals, before meditation, before sleep. And also, it's important to consider things like um, appreciation and gratitude, because all of this helps to um, direct your consciousness to a more spiritually oriented mindset. Now, before we dive into the idea of discipline here as well, um, I would like to encourage you to think about this process maybe a little differently than you might have in the past. Many people, when they first become interested in spiritual growth or meditation or any kind of personal transformation, uh, there is an idea that there is something to be attained, something to be overcome, some challenge to be met, some some way to uh, behave like a, a hero in a story and to slay the demon of ignorance. And those ways of thinking about things, they're very useful in the beginning. Uh, They can be very inspiring, but I would like to encourage you to to possibly think about a little bit differently. There's always this phrase that I've, I've focused on and meditated on and contemplated this phrase that everything is God or everything is divine or everything is consciousness or everything is infinite, pure spirit. It's like an idea that's often promoted. And Some people take that phrase and they misapply it or misunderstand it. And they say things like, well, if everything is God, if everything is the infinite, if everything is spirit, well, why even try? Why why do I even need to worry about meditation? Why do I even need to worry about practicing the yamas and niyamas? Why do I even need to worry about living in these philosophical ideals? Well, I've thought about that a lot. And I remember I spent a good year and a half uh, contemplating that. I, um, I did my regular meditation practice and I used the, the contemplation techniques that we learn in the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, the two-year Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program. They're also outlined in the book Kriya Yoga Vichara. But I would use these techniques to focus on what I wanted to understand spiritually speaking. And one of the, one of the snags that I hit philosophically, I had difficulty reconciling, was this idea that everything is God. Everything is the infinite. But then there's a line in in the Bhagavad Gita that says, uh, you, know, you are not the doer. You are not the doer. God is the doer. The infinite consciousness is the doer. And the snag always got me because I thought, well, okay, I'm not the doer. God, the infinite consciousness is really what's happening here. But then what about the phrase that everything is God, everything is the infinite consciousness. So if everything is that, well, aren't I that too? If everything is it, nothing is excluded, including me. (laughs) And that really baffled me for a long time. And so I spent a lot of time focusing on that uh, contemplation. Like I said, I spent about a year and a half um, really, really digging into it. The first six months, uh, I got some understanding, but it was really after I continued for about a year and a half that one day, as I was meditating, I had this aha moment. And it was as though just all the information of of that statement was reconciled. Now, if I could explain it to you, I would. But that's really what we're trying to do with this process is give you the ability to do your own contemplation so that you can understand this information, which is really beyond words or or hard to encapsulate with words without seeming kind of... um, Uh, inane i suppose so anyway that contemplation led me to a realization and the gist of that realization was that yes everything is spirit everything is consciousness and everything is really in a way like a collection or packets of uh, information or energy all all together like uh, if you can imagine that that you are not an individual person that your body and your mind is really just a collection of um, information and energy held in a certain pattern. But that information and energy is everywhere. It's like if you are able to take a piece of salt and have it in the ocean, well, salt is all throughout the ocean and just having that salt condensed somehow in the ocean doesn't make it different than the ocean. It's still the ocean. Well, so you, me, the mouse here that i use to move around on my computer the cup that i drink out of the car that i drive in the earth itself the stars the planets all these things are really in a sense this is not literal this is just my best way to describe it like packets collections of of dense information and energy and that is what spirit is everything is the spirit there's just different different uh, different patterns of spirit different densities of spirit and so on and so ultimately there really isn't um, a fundamental at the most primordial level difference between you me the car uh, the clouds the ocean and so on and all these energy patterns are sustained in some way we'll say by intention intentionality And so, for whatever reason, all the rocks out there want to be rocks. Consciousness wants to be a rock, and so it holds that pattern of rockness. Uh, The ocean wants to be an ocean, so it holds that pattern of oceanness. Every individual on this planet is a representation of spirit, and every individual on this planet is holding their pattern together together of their personality, of their mind, of how they think, of their psychology because spirit wants to experience that. Now, spirit obviously can change its mind because change happens all the time. And so the whole purpose of Kriya Yoga is to um, access, not really access it because it's always there, um, alter or shift the intentions of these certain collections of consciousness and spirit that we are, so that we are able to process and realize broader states of consciousness, deeper, subtler states of consciousness. So we don't just feel like I am just this little person at the mercy of the weather and germs and earthquakes and bad relationships and so on. There's a shift that occurs when you begin to live in a certain way, practice meditation in a certain way, where you begin to free yourself from that limited viewpoint of self. And when we feel that we have a limited viewpoint of self, that's when we don't feel we can make changes. That's when we don't feel that anything different can happen in our lives. That's when we feel that we, there's no way we can experience uh, self-realization or a state of samadhi. So the, the individuals or the states of consciousness or the little facets of spirit that are able to experience greater clarity of awareness, they have just shifted and changed their little packet of energy to make that possible. And that's in a sense what we're doing with Kriya Yoga, and everything you do is like a representation of the information, the program of your being. So if we have someone who um, is always experiencing a state of poverty, or someone who's always angry, or someone who feels like the world is always out to get them, well, they're gonna do things which support that state of consciousness. They're going to get on the internet and they're going to find some kind of conspiracy theory to make them even more paranoid. They're going to see it. It's going to come into their awareness because that's in a sense what they're looking for. And universe infinite consciousness does have the capacity to provide that for them so that they can have the experience. And so what we're doing is aiming to shift all of that. And this is sometimes why it's very hard for people because it's hard to let go of what you know. Even if you're in a bad situation, maybe you've experienced this, you're more comfortable in a bad situation because you know it. And so you don't want to make changes because there's the unknown. You would, rather, you would rather experience the suffering of what you know rather than to take the chance to move through the fear of the unknown. That happens to all of us in many different ways. And so oftentimes that difficulty that one experiences on the spiritual path is a difficulty uh, of making changes, either because you're comfortable where you are, uh, because you have a certain belief system, you can't imagine something different. And what the meditation process does, if you do it well, it starts to kind of loosen that up so that you can begin to entertain different possibilities, different, different ways of seeing and experiencing the world. And if you match that up with behaviors that support it, then you really accelerate that process. That's why the Kriyoga process is said to accelerate or quicken one's spiritual growth and spiritual understanding. Now, we're not going to get into this so much in this course. We will touch upon it, um, but in the book, The Bhagavad Gita, this is a book that Lahiri Mahasaya, Sri Yukteswar, Yogananda... Roy Jean Davis, all of them put a lot of emphasis and focus on the information in that book, because what it does is it serves as a blueprint for the spiritual growth process. And in year one of the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, we spend the majority of the time starting at the beginning of that book and going clear through to the end so that we can see just how it works. But the important thing to know about the Bhagavad Gita is that it starts out with the arjuna who represents you the individualized soul having to participate in a battle or a war and many people think that that is an actual historical event maybe it is maybe it's not but the important part for us is is that it's an allegory for our process he doesn't want to fight in the war even though it's going to lead to something greater in regards to his interpersonal growth why because he's comfortable because he doesn't want to do the work, the hard work that it's going to take to overcome those difficulties. Again, with this allegory uh, of the Bhagavad Gita, but we all start there. And the biggest issue we have is overcoming that resistance and doing what it takes to be successful and, and having trust in the process, having trust in the process. And I don't like to encourage blind faith or blind trust, that gets people in trouble. I'm talking about um, the kind of trust and faith that, that's based on sort of, okay, let's see what happens. And I'm going to try this out. I'm going to see how it works. And um, again, fortunately, we do have access to authentic lineages and traditions which have been able to perpetuate um, an effective spiritual path through time. And that's good that 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 helps out a lot and so what i'm trying to encourage you to 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 consider and understand here is that there may be things that feel difficult for you changes that might feel difficult for you and i don't want to tell you not to do them but i also don't want you to overwhelm yourself everything that we've been discussing you have to look at it From a very self honest perspective, meaning you have to ask yourself Am I being honest with myself about how I'm approaching my life such that I'm making choices that support, really actually support, why I'm taking this class, why I want to practice Kriya Yoga, why I want to participate in this Kriya Yoga tradition? And sometimes self honesty is difficult. And I want you to be honest. So if there are things that you know that you're not doing that you probably should do, don't beat yourself up about it. Just be honest. Just say, yep, I probably should do that, but I'm not. And in time, you will find that you eventually come around to making the positive changes. So when we talk about things like discipline or how you choose your entertainment or choice of social interactions and these types of things, you don't have to be perfect about it. You just have to be honest with yourself. And say, yeah, I'm willing to do this much. Um, and just the, the more honest with yourself you are, what you will find is that in time, rather than forcing yourself, you know, jamming yourself into a predicament where you have to make a change, you will just kind of want to change. It's as though you grow up a little bit. You say, yeah, I, I, I used to do this. And I got to tell you, now I see that it's not really, I don't see the benefit of it. And and I understand these um, more uplifting choices I could make. And that has been an experience in my life. Um, maybe some of you have taken the Kriya Yoga Discipleship course. And I talk a lot about my relationship with Roy Jean Davis in that course. And him being my, my Kriya Yoga teacher, for the most part, I just listened to what he said. It made sense to me. I understood it, and so I did it, even if it caused me difficulty from time to time. But there were a few things that, uh, in our relationship, I didn't understand at all, and I thought it was kind of ridiculous. But I still trusted him because you know he had forty, some fifty plus more years of life on me. So I I, I tend to trust people who are older and more successful. <laughs> um, and what I found was is that those situations where he recommended something for me to do, or he advised a different way of being in life. Even if I didn't understand it, even if I thought, oh, he's just out of touch. You know, he's, he just doesn't know what it's like to live in this current era, this modern time. Um, What I found out was almost always a few years later, I would understand exactly what he was talking about. And so what that did for me, it helped my faith and it helped my trust. And so now, when I reflect upon my relationship with Mr. Davis, and I think about um, what he recommended, the things that he advised, I don't question them. Because the things he recommended and advised never misled me, always made me stronger. And even if I doubted it, I always noticed a few years later, I ended up seeing his point of view anyway. So it's... It's very good if, if you are able to find that kind of experience uh, with a Kriya Yoga path or a Kriya Yoga teacher. But keep in mind, there is like a trial and error aspect of it. You have to try things and see if they actually work. And you have to be open to the possibility of change. And again, I'm sure I've already said this, but I'll say it again. One of the obstacles, when, when Mr. Davis was asked, what are the greatest obstacles that uh, a Kriya Yoga student experiences? And he said, the greatest obstacle is not doing what they know they should do. And the question came up, well, what should I do? Well, that's what we're doing. We're we're discussing that. And Mr. Davis, it was always interesting to watch him interact with with students, especially new students. I remember one time I was on retreat, and um, there was a group of uh, students from another country. And they were all gathered around. I was sitting off to the side just observing and they were fascinated with what he was saying and they'd been there the whole week and roy had talked a lot about of wh- what we've been talking about taught the kriya yoga techniques how to meditate when to meditate and so on and one person raised their hand and said but what can we do to really accelerate our spiritual path and me i was young and arrogant and judgmental and of course i thought what? Why are they asking that question? They've spent a whole week here learning what they need to do. Why are they asking, what do I need to do? And I, in a way, I could kind of see Roy. And I saw him take a moment. And again, he was in his uh, early 80s or so. And he probably grew way beyond the state of arrogance and judgmental uh, judgmentalism, I suppose, that I had. And he just responded very kindly. Well, What you need to do is meditate every day, attend to the yamas and niyamas, do essentially what we've been discussing all week, and he left it at that. So keep in mind that what you need to do to accelerate your practice is live your life in the ways that we're describing, do the things, the basic things, and those will accumulate in time, and you will see the results as the years go by. So anyway, let's get back to the actual structure and syllabus That I had for us. So this idea of discipline, let's talk about that. Now, many people think of discipline, again, as punishment, as something that causes pain. And this is not the best way to think of discipline. It's what I would consider to be the wrong use of discipline and the wrong way to think of it. Uh, We have to remember that everything in life, everything you're going to find requires a certain approach for success. Again, there are a very small percentage of people that are super lucky that everything seems to just work out for them. Maybe you are that person. I think it's highly unlikely. But every now and then you see one that (laughs) they can spit in the wind and everything comes their way for some reason. This, This particular way of approach that we're discussing is not for them. They're for the rest of us who actually need to do something to align our life to have success. So everything in life requires a certain approach for success, you know, even making a, a proper meal. Uh, my stepdaughter sent me a message last night asking for my, my chana masala recipe, which was very touching that she was asking, <laughs> asking me to help her do something, and that she liked my chana masala that much. Um, but even that, you know, I thought about it, and I don't have a recipe. I just know how to do it, and so I throw it all together, and it comes out good. Well, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write out the recipe and give it to her. But in order for her to have success doing that, she asks someone with more experience what to do. I'm going to share. So everything in life has, in a a sense, a recipe for success. And the spiritual path is no different. And like I said, lucky for us, there is a vast body of knowledge available to us um, about how to experience samadhi and greater spiritual awareness. Now back to this idea of discipline. Discipline is not punishment. Some people who are more ruled by their whims or have some other kinds of things going on where any kind of boundary at all makes them feel uncomfortable. uh, Discipline might be difficult, but discipline is really just doing things in such a way that work. That's what discipline is. Discipline is doing things in such a way that whatever you're doing works. So can most people live off of uh, highly sugar soda water and fried chicken wings and uh, watch TV all day long and not exercise and have the energy and the clarity of mind to meditate in an effective way? No, most people don't. Again, barring the very lucky one that might be out there that's able to pull that off. Um, Can most people win a marathon by not training, by not eating foods that support their body? No, most people have to do a little bit of something every day, month after month to train to be able to complete a marathon. The spiritual path is no different. So when you think about being disciplined, try to avoid the connotation that's kind of been overlaid on it, which is you're doing this because there's something wrong with you and you're a bad person. No, you are what you are. We are all what we are. We use discipline to become what we want to be. We use discipline to become what we want to be. If I want to be a successful guitar player, then I have to sit down and practice every day with intention, paying attention while I do it. Not being distracted and trying a little bit and then watching TV while I play, really paying attention to every aspect of it. If I want to be able to have uh, a successful business or um, resources so that I can support myself and my family and be able to donate to good causes, what do I have to do? Well, if I wasn't born into uh, a wealthy situation, I have to figure out, ways to work, ways to budget my resources, ways to um, invest and spend my money well, so I have that capacity. People who do that are going to have much more financial well-being than people who don't think about it at all. So when it comes to the spiritual path, you just have to be disciplined. You have to consider what has worked for other people What have I been taught that works? And what do I need to do to begin engaging that process? Even if it's uncomfortable at first. Of course, it's gonna be uncomfortable because you don't like change. But let's say you're all right with that. Then you have to kind of start doing things and you might not see results immediately. But as time goes on, when you look back, you will definitely see results. And that's always the, the fun part about watching students become engaged in this process is, at first, like, well, I don't see many changes. And I say, well, give it time, stick with it. And especially if they've gone through the two-year apprenticeship program. At the end of the two years, I say, well, what kind of changes have you seen? And they say, I'm, I can't believe the changes that I've seen. The small little things that I've done to shift my awareness I'm a very different person. My understanding is very different. My packet of information and energy is very different than what it was when I first got started. And that's all because they use discipline to make little changes and they stuck with those changes. And when it comes to discipline, one thing I recommend is don't do them and say, well, I'm going to do this for six weeks or a year. If you're going to make a change, make the change that you're willing to make for life. It's like when you go on a diet, you don't want to say, I'm going to go on a diet for six weeks or for six months. You want to pick the diet that is supportive of you and say, this is how I'm going to eat now. Make it that kind of, um, that kind of commitment. And of course, as you learn more and grow, you might need to tweak it and make some changes. But It's good to look at things like that, because if you're going to become a new person, you have to be committed to becoming a new person. And again, that's not to say there's anything wrong with you at all, but the new person is the person that represents the state of consciousness that you want to experience. If you want to experience what you are experiencing now, just keep doing what you're doing. That's it. If you have uh, an inspiration to, again, experience what yogis talk about, then you gotta do what the yogis do. It's as simple as that. And that is really what discipline is all about. So you don't have to make it punitive. You don't have to be angry about it. You don't have to get all frustrated. You just have to decide what recipe do I need to follow? I mean, imagine if, if I was trying to make a meal and I had a recipe and I was getting angry every time it asked me to use a spice that I don't have well, I might have to go to the store and get that spice. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to have it, and then I'll be able to make that meal from that point forward. So it's really just that simple. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.